where you will find question and answers 26 through 28 of the Catechism. I'd like to read the questions for us and we will respond together with the answers. We confessed earlier in the Apostles' Creed that we believed in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. And the question is, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth? That the Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by His eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ His Son. I trust Him so much that I do not doubt He will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and He will turn to my good whatever adversity He sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because He is Almighty God. He desires to do this because He is a faithful Father. And what do you understand, question 27, by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God, by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, All things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. And question 28 asks, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father, that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. And if you turn with me in the scripture tonight to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23 just to read a very brief section of Jeremiah's prophecy beginning at verse 23 of chapter 23 and you'll see that The Lord here is asking what amounts to a rhetorical question. The answer to this so-called question is obvious. Really, the Lord is chiding His people for turning Him into something that He isn't. For making Him smaller and less glorious than He is. This is what the word of the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah at verse 23. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away also? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, 
declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. So far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ and dear friends, that passage is an example of the Lord addressing His people, calling out to them for repentance because they have made Him smaller than He is. And He asks them in the form of a question, Am I only nearby and not far away? And the idea here is that there are people who think that the things that they say are going to be outside of God's hearing so that He will not be able to see what they say when they speak against Him or when they go against His will and then carry out His justice against them for their evil speech. Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? I'm not just a local God, but I am wherever anybody would live, wherever anybody would speak, I hear it. For I am there. I fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord. And sometimes this is how the Lord gets after us when we think about Him. We heard last week in the Lord's Day evening from the Heidelberg Catechism about the doctrine of the Trinity. And we were exhorted from the Word of God to understand the basic teaching of God's Word about the Trinity. And why? Because if we don't understand the Trinity... If we don't believe the Trinity, if we don't believe God as He has revealed Himself in His Word, then we might as well be a Muslim, we might as well be a pagan, or any other kind of idolater, because the God that we have in our minds is not the true God of the Scripture. And the Lord was saying the same thing here. You might as well be a pagan or an atheist if you believe that I am not everywhere and that I can hear everything that everyone says and that no one can get away from me. No one is outside of my reach and my knowledge. And tonight as we consider specifically the Lord's creation and His providence, I will tell you again with the same approach that the Scripture takes when we consider the very character of God And when He reveals to us what it means to be God and how we must understand Him, I will tell you in the same tone that if you do not believe that not only God has created everything that is in the world and not only that God sustains everything that He has created, but that He directs and controls everything, even the small things and the bad things that happen in the world, if you do not believe that God is in control and directs everything that happens in this world, even down to the smallest detail and even the bad things. If you do not believe that, then you might as well be an atheist also. Because the worst thing about denying the control of God over every detail of the universe, the worst thing about denying God's control, about even the bad things that happen in the world, is that you would be robbing God of the glory that is only to be His. Because at the end of the day, only God can say, this is why things happen in this world. Because I have directed them. 
Not only have I created everything that is, exists, not only I have sustained it so that it does not all implode at every moment, but I direct everything that happens for my purposes in history and for my glory and for my good and for the good of my people. And if you deny that, you might as well not believe in me in the first place. This is what's at stake. Whether or not we are going to rob God of His glory. Whether or not we are going to be submissive to the way He reveals His control over everything in the world. I mean, let's just set aside all of the nonsense, all of the vain philosophical speculations about how somehow that would make God evil if He really controls everything in every detail. And somehow that doesn't leave me my precious free will if God does not control, if God is actually controlling everything that happens. Let's set aside all of that and hear what the Scripture has to say about whether or not God is in control of everything that He has made. Well, the Catechism leads us in the first place to a pretty simple pattern in understanding God's creation and then His relationship to the creation which He has made. You mean, you'll probably never meet a person who says that they believe in God who also believes that God didn't create everything. I mean, they may have debates about the means which God used to create and how active He was at every point in the creation. But most people, if they profess to believe in God, will agree that God created everything. But I want you to notice where the Catechism goes, summarizing the basic teachings of the Word, how it gets from creation to God's relationship to the creation after He's made it. Look in question 26, or answer 26. When you say that you believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, you mean that not only out of nothing He created heaven and the earth and everything in them, but He still upholds there's the first part, upholds, sustains, causes it at every moment to continue to exist without vanishing or imploding, upholds and what? Rules them. Rules them. And question and answer 27 expands on what it means that God rules the creation. He makes it, He sustains it, and He rules it. What? So that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things in fact come not by chance, but from His fatherly hand. In other words, the Lord directs everything that happens in the world. He makes it, He sustains it, and He directs it. Everything down to the smallest detail in His universe. And some people might say, well, wait a minute though. Are you saying that if I throw a tennis ball up into the air and the tennis ball hits the ground, that God directed that tennis ball to hit the ground? I thought it was gravity that did it. And the answer is, well, yes, gravity did it. But gravity was the means by which God personally stood behind that action and directed it to happen. And that's true of every thought that every man has in the world. That's true of every action that is committed. That's true of every great and majestic natural process that's out in the world. That's true of even the smallest detail. 
That's true of me turning the page. That's true of you fidgeting in the benches as you listen to the sermon. Every detail, everything that happens in God's world is directed by Him. And He is in absolute control of all that. And consciously aware of everything that He's doing for His glory. And this isn't just the logic of the catechism directing us to think of God's relationship to His creation. This comes, of course, from the Scripture. Hebrews chapter 1 says that God spoke to us by His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 2, whom God appointed the heir of all things, and through whom, speaking of Jesus, God made the universe. So there's the Son creating. And what is the Son's relationship to the creation which He has made? The Son, verse 3, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is active to sustain everything that He has created. He is not a God who spins the world off and let it go on its course, but He is active in sustaining everything that exists at every moment, just like He was active in creating everything that was created at every moment. Acts chapter 17, where Paul is preaching to unbelievers, and yet these are unbelievers who have some kind of a concept of who God is. Right? God having left a testimony on every heart and He stands before them. He stands up in the meeting of the Areopagus and He says, Men of Athens, I see in Acts 17.22, I see that in every way you are very religious. I walked around in town and I looked carefully at your objects of worship and I even found an altar with this inscription. It said, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I, the Apostle, am going to proclaim to you. I am going to tell you who the true God is. That God that you sense in your heart, that you've crafted into some sort of idol, and actually into various idols. I'm going to tell you, says Paul, who that is. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And listen to what Paul says about the Lord. Remember, he just mentioned the creation. God made everything. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Why? Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Think about what Paul just said. That the Lord has made the heavens and the earth and what is his relationship to the creation after he has made it? Including man made in the image of God including the animals that walk the earth, including all of the natural processes that exist, including the sun and the moon and the stars. He gives life and breath and everything else to them, says Paul. They are not self-sustaining or self-directed, but the Lord is the one who gives them life and breath and everything else. And I'll apply this to us. If we all pause right now and take a deep breath, Slowly we draw it in. And we let it out. The Lord directed that breath and gave it to us as we breathed. He made us. He made our lungs. He made the air around us. He brought us here. And He directed that breath and provided us 
with that breath and all of our life and everything else, says Paul. The Lord directs it. Verse 26, from one man, the Lord made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And did God just set Adam and Eve in the garden and tell them to do their thing and then all of a sudden God looked up thousands of years later and the earth was populated? No. Paul says from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the set times and the set places for them where they should live. This is not man's attempting to come up with an explanation of God's control. This is God speaking by His Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. And Paul says that God determined the times set for men to even exist and the exact places where they should even live. You know why you're here right now? You know why your families moved to this area? You know why you were born here and then moved here? You know why you're going to be wherever you are all the days, every moment of your life and you know the reason why you are going to die when you are going to die it is because the Lord is directing it and directing all of the big things that make that happen and all of the small things that ensure that that happens because He is God. That's what it means to be God. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps, this is Paul again, reach out for Him and find Him though He is not far from each one of us. And then Paul says in this fascinating expression, for in God we live and we move and we have our very being. We are not independent. Nothing. No one is independent. God is in control of everything. In Him we live and move and have our being. We would implode without His sustaining power, His personal sustaining power at every moment and His direction of our lives. As some of your own poets have said, Paul says, we are His offspring. Little did you know, Jeremiah 5.23 Let us fear the Lord our God who gives autumn and spring rains in season who assures us of regular weeks of harvest so the world will talk about all the natural processes that result in particular kinds of weather and the changing of seasons and we say yes we affirm that all of that is true but who is standing behind everything that happens? It is the Lord who is personally active directing and controlling the weather and seasons and life and death and movement and history he has shown us kindness acts 14:17 by giving us rain from heaven and crops in their seasons he provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy vast things And small things, even bad things. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Jesus is going along and He sees a man who is blind from birth. And His disciples ask Him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that He was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in His life. And you know what comes later? Jesus would heal this man's blindness as a testimony of His power and His grace toward His people to shame His enemies. 
But think about that. Jesus says, this happened. What do you mean? It just sort of happened, Jesus? No. Obviously, the Lord directed the blindness in this man's life. He controlled it. He brought it to pass. He planned it so that he would display his glory in him. And that he would heal his blindness at this point. And then when that man died someday, he would glorify him. And display the triumph of his power and grace toward that man. You know, Job had to confront this, didn't he? Over and over and over again. A messenger comes to Job and says, Job, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, the house collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And some people would have said, Job... You can't say that because the Lord did not take away from you. But Job was right, wasn't he? Job was right that God not only made Job and not only made his sons and daughters and sustained them to that point in his life, but the Lord directed that mighty wind that tore that house down and that caused his children to be killed. For God's own glorious purposes. And verse 22 says, In all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And some of you might say, Well, wait a minute, because earlier in the book of Job, isn't it true that Satan is the one who came to God? And Satan is the one who received permission from God to go and do that which was destructive. What do we say to that? And isn't it just the wind that tore down the house? What do we say to that? But we say that these are secondary means that God was using to accomplish all of His holy will. And Satan certainly had an evil purpose, the persecution and torment of the people of God for wanting to see that happen in Job's life. And the wind certainly is impersonal and doesn't know what it's doing when it rips down the house and has those people put to death. But the Lord personally stands behind all that Satan does and stands behind all that happens in this world and He plans it and brings it to pass for a good reason, unlike Satan, and for a personal reason, unlike the wind, for His glory, for the good of His people. And if you rob God of that glory, if you take Him out of the equation and somehow in the name of defending His goodness as if he needs that defense, then you are robbing him of his glory. You are turning him into some kind of an exalted man and you might as well be an atheist if you do that. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. If you take a pair of dice and you roll them out onto the table... The resulting number on the dice is at the direction of the Lord who planned it in the first place. And you say, well, wait a minute, though. I mean, you can use physics 
to accurately describe the angle at which the dice were thrown and the way in which they were manipulated as they passed through the air and how they bounced off the end of the table and how they landed and the speed at which they were thrown and you can analyze how it came up. And the Lord stands behind all of those processes. You see, He's directing them because everything in His world is under His control at every moment. It's not vain philosophy. That's the scripture. Every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Why do people make the decisions they make in life? Yes, they are making the decisions. They are responsible for the decisions they are making. But they are making the decisions because the Lord is directing those decisions. For his good purposes and for his glory. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and the Lord directs the heart of the king like a watercourse wherever he pleases, wherever the Lord pleases. Proverbs 16:9. In a heart, in his heart, a man will plan his course, but the Lord determines his steps. In Him, we live and move and have our being. He is in absolute control of everything that happens in the world. If He's not, even the small things, even the bad things, if He's not, if you don't believe that He is, I should say, you might as well be an atheist. You're robbing God of His glory. That's what's at stake in believing that. And let me just close with this. Although the worst thing about denying the extent of God's control over everything that happens in His world is that you are robbing Him of glory that He deserves. There's also another tragedy that goes along with that kind of denial. And the tragedy is that you're really robbing yourself of any true comfort from God because you make God dependent on man's will. I mean, you got this from the catechism, right? I mean, it was far from an abstract theological truth that God is in control of everything, right? The point in the catechism is question answer 28. I mean, how does this knowledge, this affirmation, this acceptance of God's control help us? It's because then when things go against us, we can be patient. Thankful when things go well and for the future we can have good confidence that nothing will separate us from His love. All creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will they can neither move nor be moved. Now you see, you can't say that. You cannot say truthfully that you will have real confidence in God to take a horrible situation in your life and turn it for good and ultimately to turn it for His glory and for your glorification. You can't really say that if you don't believe that God is in absolute control at every point. Because, you know, if He's not in absolute control at every point, maybe there's something that He overlooked. You know, or maybe somebody can do something that He had not planned for exactly. And maybe the plans that he did have, that he was otherwise going to bring to pass, get thwarted because something new gets in the way. A new obstacle is thrown up. 
And they say, well, no, God is always able to overcome the obstacles that are thrown in His way by the rebellion of man. And the answer to that is, what kind of a God do you have? Do you have a God in your mind that goes around chasing after man to hopefully everything will work out alright in the end? Or do you have a God who speaks in prophecy and can say with confidence that something is going to happen when He says it's going to happen? And He says that because He can be sure that it will happen. Because He's directing it to happen. Thousands of years. Even in all of eternity before it ever happens. You can have a God who's responding merely and chasing after mankind to hopefully work out things alright in there. You have a God who is in absolute control so that you can say tonight, no matter what I face, nothing will separate me from His love. There is not a thought that any man can think against me. There is not a word that any man can speak against me. There is not an action that any man can commit against me that will separate me from God's love. There is not any suffering or sickness or despair that I am going through that ultimately does not have dignity. Because behind it is God's personal fatherly hand directing it into my life, giving it to me as it were, with His own hands, for my good and ultimately for my glorification and for His glory and my satisfaction in His glory. That's the confidence you have. That's the confidence you have when you profess that God is in control. That's what you mean when you say in this congregation with the people of God around the world that you believe in God the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth. You are saying that you are convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know that because lying behind every angel or demon, everything in the present, everything in the future, every power, lying behind every height and depth, lying behind everything else that happens in all of creation is the hand of God directing and controlling everything for your good because He loves you. Don't give it up. Don't give it up. Glorify Him for who He is. And to that all God's people said, Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, You are not only nearby, but You are everywhere and You fill every space. And no one is outside of Your holy sight. And Father, You are not a God who is subject to be manipulated and surprised by the actions of men. But you are a God who controls and directs everything that happens in your world for a good reason, for your glory, for the good of your people. 
We exalt you tonight. We humble ourselves before you. We set aside our vain, ungodly philosophies and we conform our philosophy to that of you, the Scripture, as you have revealed yourself. Thank you for guiding us in truth and comfort your people. Let them know that everything that they endure is with dignity and for a good reason because it comes from you. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.